Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Well, today is week number eight of our teaching series that we've called Revival Hope. We are a people who live with hope. Everyone say hope. hope. We have a hope for God to move. We have a hope for God's spirit to be poured out on his people and on his church. When we are teaching through some of the great stories of the Old Testament uh, that show us how God led people to not only personal revival, but that he would revive cities, that he would revive nations. And I just want to say, I want to pause and say, I'm so thankful to be a part of a church who prays. You know, I mean, the fact that we've had so many people going into the prayer room this month, I believe he's answering prayers. How many of you are thankful that we have a God who hears us? We have a God who sees us. We have a God who knows us, cares about us, thinks about us, who who knows our names. How many of you are thankful that you have a God who knows your name, right? So that's why we pray, because God invites us in to a relationship. He invites us in to, to being able to know him as he knows us. And I'm thankful for that because that's why, and that's why we emphasize prayer so much. That's why we say everything begins and ends with prayer. Everything begins and ends with prayer. 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 That's right. So good. So good. So we've been doing personally some home renovations uh, this month for the last three or four weeks. And it's been straight crazy town. Can I just tell you? It's been wild. Anyone ever tackled a big renovation project? Raise your hand. Those are my people, like you've been in the pit and you've crawled out and you're still alive. So pray for us because we're still in the pit. But it's been a mess. We had to tear out a lot of things, a lot of old things, get rid of a lot of old things. We busted up tile. We tore out walls. And, and ultimately, we've made a huge mess. How many know that we often are the ones responsible for the mess in our life? <laughs> I mean, and every time I go into that house right now, I especially... Recently, I feel more and more overwhelmed at the mess that we've been making. But I will say, we're happy to report that this last couple days we've turned a corner. Light is breaking through the darkness. You know what I'm saying? It's the movement. There is a movement happening in the mess. Are you all with me? We are seeing breakthrough right before I broke down. I promise you. Something new is springing up. Are you getting my metaphor yet? Do I have to keep going? In the case of our house, it's been new tile, it's been new paint, new lights, literally bringing things back to life. But I'm telling you, as we've been doing this little project, I've been seeing the parallel, and it's been my prayer of breakthrough over our church. In a spiritual way, I'm praying the Lord to bring something new out of the old, right? I'm praying that he may bring about a renovation of our own hearts, that, he, that, that light may break through in the own darkness in your life. That, that movement would take flight if you're walking through a mess. That, that a spiritual breakthrough would happen before, I pray it happens today, before you break down. I'm really praying that. I'm praying that a renewal, a revival, a restoration would surge in our souls for those of you in the room who may be tired, who may be weary, who may be bored, who may be angry, who may be lonely, who may be depressed, who may be confused, for those of you who feel stuck. Anybody need that prayer today, that God would break through, that God would bring about a renewal in your heart today? Does anyone need that prayer to say, yeah? Yeah, right? God, we are asking you to do a renovation in our own hearts. That's what we're praying. So again, we're in week eight of Revival Hope. 
We are looking today and next week, actually, at the same, same book from the book of Jonah. Jonah is popular with three and four-year-olds, so I thought it would be great for us today. Right? <laughs> Truthfully, Jonah is a powerful story of personal revival and a revival of an entire city. I, I didn't think we could do this series called Revival Hope, teaching stories from the Old Testament without spending some time in the book of Jonah. When we think of Jonah, we also think of something else. We call it Jonah and the yeah. wrong. <laughs> the correct answer is city, my friends. Jonah and the city. The story is about God calling Jonah to a city. You understand that, right? The whale, which is never actually called a whale in the Bible. It's called a great fish. But we like to think of whales so we can think air chamber, so we can rationalize how this actually took place. And so we make up this story that it must have been a whale and Jonah must have been like living inside of a whale with a pocket of air. That's the only way we can make sense of this story. But nonetheless, we'll go with it. The fish, a.k.a. The whale is not even the point of the story. It is only a vessel so that God can do what he wanted to do, which was revive a person in Jonah and revive a city, which is in Nineveh. God will use anything. Are you all with me today? Jonah is a bit of an odd story. Strange. So we're going to talk about it. So let's dive in with Jonah. No pun intended. Maybe, maybe a small one. Uh, we're going to read the entire chapter. And then we're going to come back, we're going to talk about it, we're going to pull some truths from it. Jonah chapter 1. There's four chapters in Jonah. I wish we could do all four because every one of them has something really deep to, to teach us. But we're going to try and just pull a few this week and then next week. But Jonah chapter 1 says this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amatai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now quickly, let me just make sure you guys understand this. Jonah was a prophet. There are priests, there are prophets. Priests work in the temple, prophets. There's usually one prophet in Israel at a time. And th this is a different type of character, a different kind of spiritual leader. He's an activist. He's a, he's a reformer, right? And, and essentially, since there's only one of them, Jonah's kind of a big deal. You get that? Verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. Everyone say Tarshish. Tarshish. It's just fun to say, Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where, the, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So he's running from God. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. And all the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to their own God, help me, Dr. Phil, help me, Donald Trump, help me, Taylor Swift. <laughs> Didn't see that coming, did you? Mm. And they threw their cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell asleep into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of, of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots and find out who is responsible for, for this calamity. Great word to add to your vocabulary, calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell to Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Jonah, what would you say you do here, Jonah? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I'm a Hebrew, a.k.a. an Israelite. And I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land, Yahweh, right? This terrified them, and they said, what have you done? 
They knew that he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? He says, pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you, but instead the men did their best to row back to the land because these are a few good men, right? But they could not, for the sea even grew wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord. Who are they crying out to? Oh, it's not, it's not their little G's anymore. Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you please. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea immediately grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Verse 17, strange, odd, a bit weird. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, which sounds oddly familiar. (laughs) Three days, three nights. So the story begins with the prophet disobeying God, right? He goes in the wrong direction. He doesn't go where he's supposed to go. And the story ends with the prophet of God saying, pick me up, throw me into the sea, and being swallowed by a fish. Now, instantly there are people who are like, wait, 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 wait. Do I really have to swallow this story? Meaning a fish swallowed a guy. It's 2023. Can't we stop with this crazy, this is my whole problem. This is what some people think. This is my whole problem with the Christian faith, right? That we, we cling to these weird fables, urban legends about a guy being swallowed by a fish. So there are some who are instantly like, okay, I'm done. I got to check out. I can't believe in this kind of stuff. And then there are others that are like, oh, no, 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 that went down. Like that just happened only back then. Like that absolutely happened because you have to read the Bible in a literal sense. And if you don't, then the whole Bible gets thrown out. And so if you don't believe that Jonah was swallowed by a fish, then you don't believe in God. And so then there's these two camps of people, right? It's like, oh, no, 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 no. It it, it absolutely happened. And other people are like, I don't know. I can't buy into this whole thing. And so we throw God out with the whole story. So here's what I want to say. For those of you who are like, I can't do it. I can't buy the literal story of a guy being swallowed by a fish. You think it's got to be a metaphor. It's got to be a parable. It's got to be some sort of lesson that we can get meaning from. Okay, that's fine. That's great. You can believe that. However, the danger in that, the danger is that sometimes that is driven by a worldview that says nothing bizarre, crazy, or miraculous can happen in this world. That would be a worldview that says that only things, only things can occur that we can rationalize and that we can, our cognitive minds can wrap our minds around. So, so when someone is like, I can't do the miracle thing, that's fine in some ways. But the problem with that is how far do you take it? Because that means our, you have to wonder, are all unexpected, inexplicable things going to be denied? Because I don't know about you, but my experience is that this world is full of wondrous, inexplicable, inexplicable, unexplainable mysteries and miracles happening all the time. So perhaps a good way to consider this is instead of a predetermined, pre-rational affirmation or denial of a story like this, we need to read the Bible in a way that we would understand that our faith just has to start with this one statement. God can. God can do it if he wants. God can do whatever he wants. So this is called being, by the way, trans rational, meaning I've thought about it. I didn't just blindly accept it. I thought about it. I recognize it's a little bit crazy and a little bit strange. 
and it's something that I don't understand how it could happen. However, I'm willing to accept that unexplainable, inexplicable things can happen in this world. So we begin with that. We have to acknowledge that this is wild. This is crazy. However, God can do these sorts of things. So let's think about this story. It begins with go to Nineveh. Jonah's like, nah, don't want to do that. And he goes in the other direction. It starts with disobedience, and it ends with just kill me. And if you guys don't want to kill me, I'll do it myself. Right? It starts with I don't want to go there. Ends with I'd rather die than go there. Right? Sounds like my kids when I say let's go to the furniture store. They're like, no, I'd rather die. So in the drink goes Jonah, and shortly after, in the fish, right? And like I said, it's an odd story. Strange things are occurring. Even in the oddities, I believe we can sense and we can start to see and identify with Jonah. I believe there's a little bit of Jonah in all of us, meaning each of us have a similar character trait. We all have character qualities of Jonah. In some ways, we've done what Jonah is doing in the story. And what I mean by that is Jonah has some good stuff in him, and he has some backwards whack stuff in him too. How many of you guys have a lot of good in you, but you also have a little bit of whack in you? You know what I mean? Like, uh, I don't want to talk about that. Right? It's okay, though. We're all beginners. How many of you guys would say, you know, I'm kind of a beginner. I've been doing this a long time, but I'm still a beginner. <laughs> right? <laughs> Trying to figure out our life, our faith, the big questions of life. So I want to quickly look at verses 1 through 3 again. I know I already read it, but the word of the Lord came to Jonah, go into the great city of Nineveh, preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord, headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed, right? You quickly learn that Jonah has been told by God to do something, to go and preach against the great city of Nineveh and the actions happening there. But instead, Jonah chooses to run into the opposite direction. I have a map for us. Throw it on screen. Hopefully this is helpful. Jonah is near Joppa. All right? He gets, I don't know what the journey to Joppa was, but he's near Joppa. You can see that Nineveh is north, what is that, northeast of Joppa, right? And he heads in the opposite direction, almost 3,000 miles to Tarshish. Now, Tarshish is considered to be a very wealthy city, plush destination in southern Espana, it's in the ancient world, it would have been like Hawaii or Fiji or Lake Eufaula, you know, paradise, <laughs> right? Paradise. And Jonah says, nah, I am not going to Nineveh. I'm heading to the beach. In addition to going to paradise, Tarshish is about as far as you can get in the ancient world from where he was. So let's look at verse three again real quick. Pay attention to the details that are given here. He went down to Joppa, which, okay, I don't, is that helpful information? We don't even know where he was exactly, so does that matter? He found a ship bound for that port after paying the fare. I, I, again, appreciate he took out some money, paid for his ticket, and he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish. So what details does the writer not give us? Think about this. We get these details, like he went to Joppa, we get the details that he purchased the boat fare, which a lot of scholars believe that, that he, actually, he actually purchased and paid for the entire ship. That's called chartering a boat, right? He charters a boat, and this, which means Jonah must be a man of means. And this 
trip to Tarshish would take a year. So he charters a boat for a year. I mean, Jonah's got, he's got flow. You know what I mean? Make it rain. Jonah. He's got money, money, money. He's, and so if you think about this, he is going all in to not do what God told him to do. Some of us are willing to do whatever it takes to stay on our plan and avoid God's plan. Some of us will go all in. But again, strange details. So the writer is not telling us something. There is a glaring piece of information that is missing. We are not told why he runs. Why did he run? Why did he, why did he go and disobey God? This would be like me telling you right now, hey guys, I'm leaving the church. I'm no longer going to be the pastor here. And then I walk out the door and I tell you this, hey, when I leave, I'm going to get in my Ford Explorer, drive down to Sonic on 235 and, uh, and Northwest 23rd Street, get me, a, get me a, a Route 44 vanilla Coke Diet Dr. Pepper or whatever. That was a weird drink, I know. But, um, and, and I'm going to get easy ice and then I'm going to hit I-40 and I'm heading west. And you guys are like, what? Easy ice? What are you talking about? I left out a piece of information, didn't I? Why am I leaving? You guys are like, I just want to know why you're leaving. And this is what is going on in this story. Why is he leaving? Why? Because here's the thing. The situation that we're dealing with here in Jonah is that he's running from the Lord. He doesn't want to go to Nineveh, obviously. He does, we do get a short comment about the wickedness in Nineveh. But doesn't every city have wickedness in it? And by the way, Jonah is a prophet. This is what he does. He goes and he preaches in cities. He preaches against, against sin. He talks to people all the time. So this calling is very similar to every other calling that Jonah has ever felt before in his life. But what's different? Why does it matter? Why won't he go and do what God is calling him to do? Why does he run? Well, we can get a little more insight into Nineveh from the book of Nahum. Nahum is another book in the Bible has a little bit more dedicated, has a whole chapter dedicated to Nineveh and really how bad things were in this city. Nineveh is the capital of a place called Assyria. The Assyrians had done some pretty terrible things to the Israelites over the years. For example, they had eradicated, killed. There was uh, millions of, of Israelites. So Israel, would say the least, is very bitter, does not like the Assyrians and Nineveh. I'm going to give you a couple excerpts, though, from Nahum chapter 3 says this. These are just different parts of that chapter. Woe to Nineveh, woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims, piles of dead. Get this, piles of dead, bodies without number, people stumbling over corpses. People always say, man, the end is near. I'm like, bro, it's been worse. It's been worse. Your injury is fatal. Nahum is predicting the fall of Nineveh. He says, your injury is fatal. Everyone who hears the news about you claps their hands at your fall for who has not felt your endless cruelty? So he ends this chapter by saying Nineveh is going to fall. But he says they're so hated that people are going to stand up and clap. I want you to imagine like this is modern day Al-Qaeda. This is Nazi Germany. People are celebrating when it's over. Are you all with me? That's why he hated them. So now we can start to understand a little bit more why Jonah ran. He doesn't want to go to Nineveh. He hates Nineveh. So he charters a boat and heads for the beach. This story is a little backwards. It's a little upside down. Everything about this story gets turned around in the first chapter. If you're a Jew 
if you're a person, an Israelite, listening to the story, you're reading it, and you're like, okay, Jonah's the prophet. He's the good guy, yet here he is running from God. He's going to sleep on the boat when he shouldn't be deep asleep. He should be paying attention, but he's shutting God out. And then he's saying, hey, just throw me over the boat. I give up. I'm, I'm cashing it. I'm done. So the good guy is not acting good. He's acting bad. And, and by the way, the sailors are like, hey, 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 what's going on here? They start, they start trying to row back to shore. They're trying to save his life. They seem to have more appreciation for, appreciation for the sanctity of life than the prophet of God. And in the end, they even say, it says in verse 14, the sailors cried out to the Lord. They had repented from their God. Like, there are no more little G's. It's all about, you know, it's all about capital L, Lord. The sailors respond to the Lord. And where's Jonah, the prophet of God, when they're responding to the Lord? He's in the water, giving up, giving his life over, saying, I'd rather die than do what you've called me to do. This is extreme, and it sounds a little weird, and most of you are like, hey, I don't know if I'd die first. I mean, I get it. So here's the point in the message. It would seem natural for me to say to all of you, what are you running from? Right? As if this message is all about when we disobey God and we run away from what he's called us to, that that's the story here. It's not the story. Sure, it has some relevance. It has some meaning. We, do, we, we all tend to do this in life. But I don't think Jonah was afraid to go to Nineveh. He wasn't running out of fear. He had already proven he was willing to give his life up. He had already proven he wasn't even trying to save his life. He was like, whatever. Like, I'm just not going to do that. So why? Well, I believe he was afraid, if you will, that God would actually forgive him. That God would actually save Nineveh. Later in chapter 4, Jonah says this very thing. Jonah chapter 4, he prays to the Lord. He says, isn't this what I said? Lord? So I'll give you a little, you know, uh, you know, spoiler alert. God saves Nineveh. We'll talk about that next week. But at the end of the story, he prays this. Jonah's still dealing with this. He prayed to the Lord and he said, isn't that what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? So before he even went to Joppa and he got called, he's like, this is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Once again, that word, word of the day. Jonah's like, I knew you were going to be compassionate, God, so I ran. Jonah's heart towards Nineveh is unforgiving, has no compassion, his heart is hardened, Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh because he doesn't want God to save Nineveh. This is a heart issue of unforgiveness. Not fear, not blatant disobedience because he wants to go and sin. But he does not want to forgive what the Ninevites and the Assyrians have done. You know what I know about us? You, me, all of us in the room? is that we're a lot like Jonah. There are people in our life for justifiable reasons don't deserve your forgiveness. And so we have a hardened heart towards them. Unforgiveness wells up in us. No compassion. 
specifically a person, right, sometimes it can be towards a group of people. And I'm not talking about having boundaries when someone is overbearing. I'm not talking about no concern for when people choose to live or act in a way with disregard for God's, you know, moral standard. I'm also not talking about hurt or pain. I'm talking about forgiveness in your heart, which is a different thing. Jesus felt hurt and pain, but he still forgave, right? Jesus forgave people who, know, who knew not what they were doing. I have two questions for us today to help us apply the scripture. We'll start with this first question, and it's just simply this. Do you hold unforgiveness towards a person in your life? Because this is a hard, a hard issue. Remember, we're talking about reno- we said at the very beginning, we want to see a renovation in our own hearts. Do you have an unforgiveness, a grudge, some form of even hatred, a level of, hardened, a level of a hardened heart towards them? Is there a person in your life that causes your heart rate to increase? <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about? You know, maybe they've hurt you, lied to you, talked bad about you, hurt someone you love. Maybe they aren't even a good person. Maybe they're a narcissist. Maybe all they do is think about themselves. Maybe all they do is cause more drama in your life. More than likely, because you're a good person, they deserve your frustration, your anger, and perhaps your unforgiveness. We've all had people that hurt us. I've had people hurt me, said bad things about me. I had to deal with a person that I felt like just made me angry, right? They were a person that I believe that all they cared about was themselves and furthering their agenda. They would lie to get their way. I had my own thoughts that I wish their mess would come crashing down on them. But I don't know if that's a right thought. I felt anger towards others who only care about themselves. I felt anger and hurt towards people who've talked about me behind my back for what I felt like was no good reason. I felt slighted, judged. I mean, I'm talking, when I say I, I'm talking about I know you. You felt slighted, judged, taken for granted, robbed they may deserve punishment but it isn't our job to be the judge or jury and definitely not the executor c.s lewis we all know him as the author of the chronicles of narnia and many other great books like mere christianity he said to be christian is to forgive the inexcusable because god has forgiven the inexcusable in you Forgiveness sits at the heart of what Jesus did and why he came. Jesus died in order to forgive all the wrong that sin had done. It was God's way of wiping the slate clean for you and me. He says, I love you no matter what. No matter what you do, how bad it's been, how much you've sinned, how much you've taken me for granted, how much you've rejected me, no matter what, if you would come and receive the gift that we only find in Christ, all is forgiven. This is what God's master plan was. It was like forgiveness was actually the key to unlock something in us. Forgiveness is the turning point of a revived life. So I wonder when we hold anger, when we hold unforgiveness in our heart and we don't let it go, if the story gets turned around backwards and the good guy becomes the dis obedient prophet, running for Tarshish, saying, I will not forgive that person. What they did was too much. 
too bad. I actually want to do something a little different. I want to show a, a video clip from an Alpha film series that uh, you guys know we do Alpha every Monday. And there's a little clip that I've always has stood out to me as an incredible testimony of forgiveness. So I'm going to step out of the way. It's a two-minute clip. Watch this. One of my great heroes is Corrie ten Boom. She's a Dutch Christian who hid Jews during the war. She was caught, and Corrie and her sister and her father went to Ravensbrück concentration camp. Her father and her sister, Betsy, died there. She's an amazing woman, and after the war, she went and spoke to others about forgiveness. She was speaking in a church in Germany one time, and at the end of her talk, she recognized the man coming up to her, and she could see it was one of the most cruel guards from Ravensbrück. She pictured him as he was then, and as he came up to her, he said, I was a guard at Ravensbrück. He didn't recognize her, but she knew. She recognized him. She could see him, and she remembered walking naked past him. She said she felt so cold and so angry. He said, I've become a Christian now. I know I did some very cruel things, but I've received God's forgiveness for the cruelties I've done. And I ask God's grace for an opportunity to ask one of my very victims for forgiveness. Fraulein Ten Boom, once you were forgiven, will you forgive me? And I could not. I remembered the suffering of my dying sister through him. But I was not able, I could not, I could only hate him. And then I said, thank you, Jesus, that you have brought into my heart God's love through the Holy Spirit who has given to me. And thank you, Father, that your love is stronger than my hatred and unforgiveness. That same moment I was free. And I could say, brother, give me your hand. And I shook hands with him. And it was as if I felt God's love stream through my arms. You never touch so the ocean of God's love as that you forgive your enemies. Can you forgive? No. I can't either. But he can. Powerful, right? So back to this question. Do you hold unforgiveness towards a person? And here's what I've come to the conclusion of, even in seeing that video so many times, is that I don't know if we're capable of true, honest forgiveness when it's so deep and so painful. And that is why we actually do need Jesus and the Holy Spirit in us to give us the capacity and the ability to do something we can never do on our own. So this is not a call to forgive people with mustering up your own strength to let someone walk all over you or to just let something go as if it didn't matter. It's to invite the Holy Spirit and the power of God into your life to set you free of something to set grace free in this world. 
for grace and mercy to rise up. That's what God's people need to be. We need to be a people of grace and mercy and peace. I have a second question for us to consider from the story of Jonah. Do you have an unforgiveness, a bias, a hatred towards a certain group of people? I have to ask it because that was really more the specific problem that Jonah was dealing with. Is there a group of people that are your Nineveh? Meaning a type of person, a group of people, an ethnicity, a a political party, a socioeconomic class, even a, a family, right? They're a type of person that you don't want to go to them because you don't like them, because they make you mad, they disgust you. You just don't have any compassion for them. Most of us at first are like, no, not me. I'm not, I'm not biased. I don't paint a broad brush. And however, we always need to search our heart to see if there's any offensive way in me. So many of us unknowingly, almost instinctively, hold a stereotype or a judgment upon people who have different political views, who make different choices, who wear certain clothes, who have a different skin color. And the list goes on and on where we see them and we judge them without knowing them. And I read this story in Jonah and I think, why did he run? You see, often we just focus on the what and how and the, and the, when we ask the question why, like, why are you here today? Are you going through the motions? Are you here because you've committed? Are you here because you want to be here? Because if you're here because you want to be here, it's like, I want to create community. I want to be in friendship. I want to worship Jesus. I want to give him praise. If we really want that, if we really ask why we show up, why we come to church, why we've said yes to Jesus, it would change our life. But so often we ask what and how, and that's the wrong question. It's about why. If I tell you what to do and how to do it, that's great. But if I ask you why you do it, it should change you. It should shape your heart. It should affect the way you worship. It should demand some type of prayer in your life and a type of relationship with your life that drives who you are becoming. Why did he run? Because he had a heart issue. He had a heart issue of unforgiveness that he wasn't willing to deal with. And I'm here to tell you today that it's forgiveness is the key to the gospel. And in the same way, it's the key in your life that, unrev- that unlocks the revival that you're looking for. It, it, I mean, there's other things, but it is one of them. It is one of them. We can't forget that Jesus placed forgiveness as the capstone to his own prayer. The disciples said, how, how do I pray? What do I say? He says, okay. He says a bunch of stuff, and then he kind of ends it with, and say this, Lord, forgive me of my sin as I forgive those who sin against me. Forgiveness is at the story and the key at the center of the story of Jesus. And it really is at the center of this story with Jonah, who, by the way, would spend three days and three nights in the belly of a fish, very much like Jesus spent three days and three nights in the tomb, but he came out conquering death. Jonah comes out. We're not going to get into the story too, but Jonah comes out and he's changed. He's different. 
and he heads towards the calling that God has put on him. It's not easy. It's not perfect. He has his way. He has so many mistakes he continues to make. God's mercy is for the religious. It's for Jonah, isn't it? And it's for the irreligious. God's mercy and unforgiveness is for the prophet and it's for the city that's full of wickedness. And that's the heart of this story is that we have an unrelenting God willing to do anything to extend the grace, extend grace to our struggle. He would even do something miraculous and crazy and send a fish to swallow a man in order to get his message proclaimed not only to the man, but to the city. Do you understand? The whale is a vessel. That's not the point of the story. It's about a God who's unrelenting in his grace and his mercy and his love for you and for those who are outside of this room and in the streets and in this city. God is all about reviving people and reviving this city. And if we don't get that, we don't know why we're here. We are here because we have a God who has extended love and grace and mercy to us in an unrelenting way, and he'll do anything to show that to you. It should be overwhelming. Is there a person that you need to forgive? Is there a person that you need to let the grudge go? But hear me, I'm not saying let it go. I'm saying invite the power of God into your life to do what you can't. You can't, but he can. So I want to invite the power of God into this space today that is not too early or too late to forgive. It's been said, it's been said to forgive is to set a prisoner free and to discover that that prisoner was you. So we're praying freedom in this room. Isaiah actually had a word this morning that he shared with the worship team, and that word was freedom. So we're praying freedom in this room to rid our hearts of unforgiveness, to turn the key, to unlock revival in our own hearts that will lead to revival in the city. We're going to pray together. Would you stand? close your eyes and just let's just wait on the Lord can we just wait on him I think so so often we rush in life we look at the clock it's time to go can we just wait so many of us we don't take the words from the scriptures and let them just to feel the weight of them in our own life to say God this message is it's for all of us. It's for me. Do you have a person or a group of people that you need to extend forgiveness and grace to? That you need to invite the Holy Spirit, invite Jesus into your life in a way that sets you free, sets them free? Just listen for a minute, eyes closed. 
you know, we've been talking on Monday nights at Alpha, in my Alpha group, forgiveness keeps coming up, and I think it keeps coming up because you can't talk about faith in Jesus, you can't talk about, you can't talk about the gospel without getting, coming right back to grace, and, and so we're asking, like, how many times did you forgive someone? We're asking, like, you know, what if the person continues to perpetuate hurt on me? Do I have to forgive them? How many, I mean, what if they don't even want forgiveness? What if they don't need forgiveness? Listen, Jesus, Jesus forgave people who knew not what they did. Sometimes they don't even know what they're doing. But sometimes they do know what they're doing, and Jesus forgave them too. Jesus forgave those who didn't know and those who knew. And we are never going to be the full picture of grace and mercy. We're never going to be Jesus in this. But we're going to say, Jesus, will you come into my life and do what only you can do? Because I'm limited. I'm finite. I don't have it in me. But, Lord, I'll do my very best. I'll do my very best, but I'm trusting that you'll finish the work that I can't do myself. That the, that the finishing work of Jesus, the finishing work of his gospel truth will come into your life. Do what only he can do. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to come right now. Holy Spirit, we need your power today. We need you to power to break free of chains in this room, to break free of, of the lies that we've held to, or, or break free of the people that have hurt us, Father, that, that Lord, this, 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 this grace and forgiveness thing, Lord, Lord, you started it all. You've been doing it. And Lord, now we just ask you to continue to do it. If you have someone that you've already started to think about, oh, that's the person. That's the person's. God, why are you doing this to me? I don't want to do it. I don't want to forgive them. I want to run to Tarsus right now. I don't want to do it, God. That's exactly. See, here's the deal. Jonah didn't have, know he had a problem until God revealed the problem. God called him exactly where he didn't want to go. And he's going to do the same to you. Holy Spirit, would your grace and mercy fall in this room? Enter our hearts. Eradicate grudges. Pull out the weed of unforgiveness. Lord, unlock the prison gates that are in this room. so that, Father, we go exactly where you want us to go. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.